You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Well, we got a new series today entitled Detox, and so uh, if you were here a little bit earlier, it's talking about how some of you have detox, and it's uh, kind of like the opposite of Dale Carnegie, where you win friends and influence people. When you detox, you push people away. You realize you got a lot of stankiness in you. And uh, But anyway, so today we begin that, and we're going to be talking about this idea of doubt. And uh, I'll be honest with you, this has been a difficult one for me as a pastor, because when I think about um, doubting, one of the things that that I um, want for you as you encounter me and as we teach and all that stuff is for you to be encouraged in your faith and you be strengthened in your faith. And, and I hope that you are today, but I also want to be real with you and help you understand that there are, that when life and faith and everything kind of comes together, there are moments of, of doubt. And so as I see doubt, I see that there's a tension, right? A kind of like a rubber band that there's, there's times that the tension gets really, really pulled strong in, in there and there's that faith and doubt and you're trying to figure it out or, or maybe you're like me and faith and doubt is more like the teeter totter. And, uh, you remember those when you were a child, you get on the teeter totter and you try to get somebody really light and you could flip them, you know, whatever. But faith and doubt is kind of like that. It's kind of up and down and sometimes you're just kind of stuck there and you don't really know where you're at and you're kind of struggling with life and faith or um, Blaise Pascal, who's many consider the the modern world is built upon his thoughts and upon his wisdom. Many consider him the smartest man that's ever lived, sees faith and doubt kind of like a wager that you play the percentages. And um, he's someone who was actually a follower of Jesus. And he would say, hey, that you're playing the percentages. The percentages are in your favor if you choose Christ. And um, I would I would have a tendency to agree with that, but I've placed my bet on that side, right? And so this morning, that's what I want us to think about. As we teeter-totter, as we live in the tension of life and we're playing the percentages of things, I want us to think about how do we deal with doubt, what is doubt, and how does faith and all of that intersect together. And so if you were to look at Webster's Dictionary, doubt is, um, the definition is a lack of certainty or a lack of conviction. And I think there's some truth to that. And the Chinese way of thinking about doubt is, I think, a beautiful idea is that it's one foot in two boats. And so you've kind of there. And so you can imagine if you're in a boat and it's kind of going, it's, it's unstable just in one boat when you stand up. And so imagine standing in two boats and a little bit of a wave comes in the ripple and you pull both growing muscles as the boats go out that way. And it feels like life is like that sometimes, doesn't it? That you're, you're living here and it's unstable and you're trying to, trying to keep it together. And there's a tribe in Guatemala called the Ketchis. And when they talk about doubt, they talk about it, a heart that's been made in two. So a divided heart, and I think that's a beautiful image as well, is that the heart sometimes, and for us in faith, as we think about some of the struggles we have with life and faith and doubt, is it feels like there's a divided heart. And, and we, we know, because preachers have put it in you, your Sunday school teacher, your parents, that we should always have this confident faith, but in these moments we don't, and so it feels like we have a divided heart, or our one foot's in this other one, and we're kind of trying to pull them all back together and make sense of what's happening in our life. And scripture brings us to mind with this idea of doubt of a double mindedness or two minds. And if you look at James chapter one, 
verses 5 through 8, we see this um, explained uh, pretty well here. It says in verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, right? He's a good God. He wants you to come and ask. Here's the next part of that in verse 6. It says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. So that's that, that interesting part that where God wants us to come to him, but he wants us to understand who he is and what he's about, and it's our covenant God, and that many times we're in those moments of we're living in the boat, and we got two feet here and whatever, and we got a, a faith, we're thinking about God, but we kind of got, really, do we trust him? Is he going to come through for us in the way that we want? So we're trying to balance all of that. And James continues that thought, and he says, Do not waver, for a person with a divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. So I think, again, this idea of a foot in each boat, and as life comes, we're trying to trying to bring these th- two things together and trying to figure out how does this make sense. Because I, I should have confidence in some of these moments, but life throws us curveballs. And it's interesting for us to think about that the God, the good God of the cosmos, who created the bumblebees, who created the mountains, who created the beautiful things, also allows cancer. Also allows children to have birth defects and children to die. It allows people to have mental illness. And so how do we justify, we've got two feet in these different boats, and the God who created the greatness that we enjoy, that we can have confidence in, also allows this. And so as a pastor, when I'm, I've had two experiences like this where I've been with a family where their child has drowned and has come back to life and is on the Today Show and you don't know that there's any difference, I applaud that God. But when I'm with the parents where the children, child drowns and the hopes and the dreams are gone, Have some doubts. Of God, these parents prayed as hard, if not harder, for this child to be raised from the dead than this one. Why? It's, you tell us it's not our sins, but what is it? And so I, my feet are in the boat, and I feel like I'm going this way, and how do I bring them back? So that, not just for me, but for others, because I want them to trust The God that I know loves them. Like, I know that I know that I know. But sometimes, I don't know. And so here's James is asking us, he's saying, when you're asking for these wise things, be sure that your faith is in God alone and not the expectations that the world has set for us. That's so hard. And don't waver with the person with the divided loyalty as unsated way, because there's going to be waves. And that's the thing about it. We don't control the waves. They just keep coming. For such people do not expect to receive anything from the Lord. It's this dividedness. And their loyalty is divided between the God, between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything they do. But I have to be honest. Like, I want to be confident. But I still doubt. I still doubt. I think we all do. Even in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, there's this passage that tells us that we don't get to see the face of God clearly. 
And one of the reasons that we don't get to see the face of God, one is because he's holy and we're not, but that's also a big part of it is because he's holy and we're not, we have limited ability to see him clearly. We bring our own picture of who we think God should be and how he should interact with us and our agenda to him. Because we bring that to him, we don't get to see him clearly. It's like God in a box. We bring him out and be like, God, you you do what I want you to do. I wind you up and you do the things that I've asked you to do. And that's what this passage in Exodus chapter 33 is like. Listen, God has shown himself fully to us, but we see him dimly and darkly because of the eyes that we bring to him. And so it's not God's thing, it's us. Even our frailty and our limits in that. But, you know, we live in a world where there's more books written now than ever before. We have lots of information and people have made themselves famous and wealthy by doubting God. Right? I mean, y'all have heard of this guy named Sigmund Freud? Yeah, I mean, he's the he says the world's biggest illusion is faith in Jesus, that there is a God. That's wishful thinking, is what he says. And we all know where Sigmund Freud is an interesting guy. All right? There's also a guy I know the name of Sam Harris, and Sam Harris has written a book, and he's written actually quite a few books. He's one of the most well-known new atheists. And he says that people that believe in Jesus or that are religious can't tell the difference. They're either mad or delusional. Can you tell the difference? I'm basically saying, hey, listen, if you have faith in Jesus, you're probably mad or delusional. One of the books that I recommend to my students in the philosophy class that I teach is a book by Christopher Hitchens. And Christopher Hitchens is a well-known author, and his, actually his brother is a believer, and he's not. And Christopher Hitchens' book is God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And so his thesis is, as you look throughout history, you can see that when you input religion, it destroys things. And he has some good points that he makes, some valid points, that there have been some things in throughout history that have been done in the name of Jesus or done in the name of religion that are obviously not what Jesus would be about. And then also Richard Dawkins, who's a well-known physicist and mathematician and all that, and he's written a book called The God Delusion. And one of the things that he says in that book is that the God of the Old Testament is the most um, unpleasant character in all of fiction writing. And as you can tell, he has an idea of, of where he's at. So why do we doubt I'll give you three main reasons why I think that we doubt. One is a lack of evidence. And the lack of evidence is that for some, there's just not enough. There's just not enough evidence. There's continuous searching. And within those realms of people searching for that, I would kind of give you three categories of people looking for evidence or, or saying that they're looking for evidence. One is a skeptic. And so when we look through Scripture, we see a skeptic as someone like doubting Thomas and that they're just unsure. And there's that kind of that show me. I, I need to see. And as we saw with Doubting Thomas, it's never called that in the Bible, we've just kind of given that name because he's a skeptic, is that he even says, until I see the hands and feet of Jesus with the nail, hands, the marks, I won't believe. And so at some point, Jesus shows up to him and says, Thomas, do you want to touch the hands? Do you want to touch the scars? And Thomas says, in the midst of that, says, I believe. And Jesus says, there are greater faith than those that don't have to see and to touch. And so that idea of a skeptic is you just don't want to be wrong. And I get it. And that's kind of where Thomas is at. And then the other one is a cynic. And the word for cynic literally comes from the word dog. 
and it's this idea of a scavenger of just looking and there's no shame and whatever. And this is Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate in his discussion with Jesus um, said, what is truth? Where is truth? And it's this idea of just this negativity um, to abstain from things that are suspicious and to to remove yourself from even the responsibility of having to make a decision. And then also another one is a um, a rebel. And so we see that in King, the person of King Saul and someone who knows about faith and has maybe even have an encounter with God, but chooses to move in a completely different direction. And we see King Saul willingly worship at the feet of the witch of Endor and to call up the person of Samuel from the dead so that he can have a conversation, which is directly contrary to scripture. He was one who was defiant and didn't want to believe he, he had the ability. He had all this resources in front of him, but chose not to and actually ran in an opposite direction. So lack of evidence is a reason that people doubt. Another one is because of Christians. People have been around enough Christians. They're like, if that's what Christianity is about, I don't want to be a part of it. And that's why one of the reasons that I, um, over the last few years, I don't even say that I am a Christian. I say that I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a follower of the way of Jesus. And so because there's so many people that consider themselves to be Christians, but um, their mindset and everything else is contrary to Christianity. And uh, for somewhere there's in our history, because you're an American, you're a Christian or whatever. And so um, I, I understand that, but but I want to be a follower of Jesus. And so in one of the writings, is one of the authors said, good people do good things, bad people do bad things. Good people that do bad things are religious people. That they've seen it over and over and over again. And so when I look at that, when I look throughout history, I ask that question. Are the things that people are doing in the name of Jesus, are they doing that in the name of Jesus? Are they contrary? Are they violations of the teachings of Jesus? And obviously, yes. Jesus doesn't go around saying, take the life of others so that we can have this little space to call ourselves or whatever. So different things. And then also I look and see where places have tried to eliminate faith. So if you look at Marxism, you look at communism, you look at some of these different philosophies where they try to remove and eliminate faith. Does that philosophy overwhelm them and make those places better? No. As a matter of fact, when places have tried to eliminate faith, in particular have eliminated the, tried to eliminate the Christian faith, the seed of the blood of the martyr has actually made the church speed up. So even today, when we look at Pakistan, when we look at Iran, when we look at China, when we look at Afghanistan, we look at all these different places where they've tried to eliminate the Christian faith, the church has gone underground and grown more rapidly. And so around the world, the church is growing faster than it has ever grown before. People are coming to Christ faster than ever before. Why? Because the church has been forced underground. And my prayer is that that doesn't have to happen here in the United States. Because if the church here has to go underground, it costs us a lot for that to happen. And so for us to wake up and understand that, hey, listen, we have a, a duty, a responsibility, and it is that when so people see me in Christ, I can be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus, and I, my life looks like the life of Jesus. But sometimes my doubt in my life and my faith don't line up. So why else do people doubt? This, so I talked about a little bit earlier the problem of pain and God's seeming silence in the midst of it. That the God of creates birds and the bees and the beauty and all that also allows cancer and all the different things. And one of the things that that, that I've it's understand my theology and my understanding, my experience have kind of come to this place of 
If God's a good father, and he's good all of the time, that that means in my weeping and my suffering, he doesn't leave me, but he joins me. And so if God allows it, then he's not surprised by it, and he joins me in it. It's not what he wants for me, but because of the chaos and the sin of the world, the brokenness of the world, he's stepped down in it and has been in it with us and continues to be in it with us. It's a matter of, do we run from it? Do we run from him and run from community in those moments, or do we run to him and allow him to weep with us and to lean on him? That I think so many times, because again, it's difficult for us to see God clearly. And so we bring our agenda and our lenses to who God is. And he should be good all the time, which means he should be the cha-ching. I get everything I want that makes me feel good and convenient. And then when it doesn't meet that agenda, then I run from him. When, Matter of fact, he's weeping and broken for me and wants to join me in my weeping and my suffering. But that's not the God we've made for ourselves. Even though that's the true God of Christianity, that's the true God of faith, is that he joins us in our weeping and suffering. And who knows weeping and suffering even more than God himself because of what Christ did on the cross for us. Christ, as we saw last week, could have easily removed himself after the temptations. One of the temptations was to choose convenience. But he, knowing what was going to happen on the cross, chose us and said, no, I love them enough to go through this. God could have easily said while Jesus was on the cross, enough! This is my son. You people aren't worth this. But he said no. And he wept in it. Sorry, I got loud. And so the God that wept over his son, surely he weeps over mine. Surely he weeps with tears of joy and tears of sadness. That the God that created the beauty of the universe didn't want this, but here we are. And he weeps with us. The problem, I think, with our doubt is when our doubt gets toxic. It's not what it does to us, but it's what the doubt keeps us from doing. So when our doubt doubt gets toxic, it's not what it does to us, but what it keeps us from doing. In other words, it keeps us from enacting and living out our faith. It stops us. It stunts us. Because we've made this God for ourselves, and it's not matching up, and so we run away from it. When in reality, we should be running to the real God. And so it stops us. So why do we faith? Mark chapter 9. There's this story. And Jesus is Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. They've been on the Mount of Transfiguration is what they call it. And Jesus has had this really cool experience. And James and John and those guys, Peter, are there. And it's really cool. It's a mountaintop experience. And they're coming down. And as they've come down, those guys are before them. And the other disciples are there. And this father has brought his child, and his child is ill, very sick, and convulsions, and different kinds of stuff, and brings them before the disciples, and the disciples are trying to cast out the demon, cast out the spirit, all this different stuff, and it's not happening. And so they're getting frustrated. The crowd's getting frustrated. The disciples are getting frustrated. Like, why in the world is this not working? We've just come from a mountaintop. This is what we expect from God. It's not happening. And then Jesus walks up, and here's what happens. How long has this been happening, Jesus asks. The boy's father. And since he was a little boy, the 
father responds. The spirit often throws him into the fire and into the water trying to kill him. Now, if you're a parent, you're going to be actively seeking out why is this, right? You're going from pediatrician to pediatrician to pediatrician, like, what in the world? We've got to stop this. And then you've heard about this Jesus guy where he's doing miracles and his disciples are doing miracles. And you're going to bring him before him and the disciples are trying and trying and trying and nothing's happening. You're like, oh my gosh. And then you're thankful that Jesus walks up and says, how, how long is this? So there's a diagnosis coming. And then... Have mercy on us if you can. Jesus, if you can help, please do so. That, that's many of our prayers. We want God to do something, but we don't really know if the God we believe in can. Because we've built him up in a certain way. And so interestingly, here's what Jesus says. What do you mean if I can In Mark chapter 9, he's done a lot of stuff. What do you mean? I am the creator of the universe. When the universe was there, God would not, like, yes, yes, yes. We were there at creation. If I can, I've walked on water. I've fed 5,000. If I can, anything is possible if a person believes. Here's the interesting thing. It wasn't about him. It's about us and if we believe. And the Father said, I think this is the most honest prayer ever prayed. The father cries out, I do believe, but, right? Father God, heal this person, but if it's not you, I mean, we've, we've, we've been trained. I do believe, but help my, help me overcome my unbelief. I think man is a dad. <laughs> I've been to a thousand pediatricians and my child's still sick. I believe. But please help me. (laughs) My unbelief. Faith defined to me is this. Faith is believing with my body what I say I believe with my mind. Believing with my whole body what I say I believe with my mind. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Someone may argue. Some people have faith. Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. In other words, there's something that transpires in here that's, I don't like the word magical, but there's transformational that moves us. That when we understand the amazement of the grace that God has bestowed upon us, when we understand that God wept over his son, but even more so he wept over our sins that caused his son to stay on the cross, then it moves us. Think about three little pigs. Y'all remember that story as kids that they build houses, the one of straw, the one of sticks, the one of stone, and that's... What Jesus talks about, he says, what house are you going to build? Are you going to build a house of straw, a house of sticks, or a house upon a solid foundation that's built on the rock? Because the storms of life are going to come that are going to cause doubts. And if you're in a house of straw, it will crumble. If you're in a house of sticks, it will crumble. You can believe these other things, but those things are not built on the truth of Jesus Christ. And so as the waves come and both feet are here and you're wobbling and waving, it's much better to be stationed in the house and be able to run to the house that's built on the foundation of stone and built with bricks. It can withstand the greatest of storms. 
And again, I think one of the things that we need to be reminded of in an age of reason and intellectual deal is God, Jesus didn't say, follow my arguments or believe in my arguments, but he said, follow me, the person of Jesus Christ. And to examine our life by how he did life and how he loved and what he did. And in that, seeing him, we see more clearly the person of God the Father that weeps over us. For surely, if Jesus wept over one of his friends at the grave at a funeral, surely he weeps with us at the loss of our dreams and the loss of our loved ones as well. I think the deepest belief and conviction for us as Christians that we need to stand on, the foundation upon which we will, is the person of Jesus Christ and that he is who he says he is and that he's not wrong. One of my favorite authors is a Catholic priest theologian. And one of the reasons that I love Henry Nouwen is because he's this, he's this guy that, that goes and he's to different places and he just thinks differently and it challenges my way to think about God and my faith. And so Henry Nouwen, he didn't know it was his last year of life, but in his last year of life, he had been working at a mental health facility and working with one young man in particular and literally Adam couldn't talk, couldn't do anything, but he cared for him. He changed his diapers. He wiped him. He did all those different things for an entire year. And then he took a break from that and he spent some time in his sabbatical um, to hang out at a circus. <laughs> now, I have a sabbatical coming up and I'm not going to go hang out at a circus. I just want you to know that. But Henry did. And Henry got fascinated with the flying roadlays and they were like the trapeze circus, you know, trapeze people. And he just got infatuated with them and just hung out with them a lot and began to ask them questions. And he, he, not that he was going to do it, but he wanted to understand it. And so one of the things that he asked, he's like, how does this even happen? And the person that was the, the flyer, the real technical term that they had for them, the flyer said, you know, I always, every single night I stand at the precipice and I have to decide, am I going to jump or am I not? And that the way that I decide if I jump is that I trust the person that's going to catch me. Because here's the deal about being a flyer, is a flyer is just a flyer. And once you jump off of that little place, you're no longer in control of anything. It's all in the hands of the catcher. And that the catcher is the one that just does everything that's possible. And whenever I step off and I grab their hands and we swing back and forth and then they let go of me and they throw me into the air, I have to totally trust and believe that they're coming back. And that they're going to be ready to receive me. And that my job is, all my job is, is to let go and to do what I'm supposed to do in those moments and trust that they're going to come back and they're going to catch me and I'll be safe. And that's us. Every single day we stand on the tower. And we've got to jump. Life's got to be lived. But whose hands and whom are we going to jump into? We're going to jump into the hands of Yahweh, God the Father, Jesus, who loves us and weeps over us and cares for us. And all that we've got to do is reach out our arms and he's going to catch us and hold on to us. And that house that's built on a foundation of stone, are we going to jump into something else and hope that there's a safety net below? Faith and doubt. Listen, life is real. 
As we stand in the boat of life and things come our way, there's going to be times where it's going to be difficult to bring those things together. That's why Jesus says, stand strong in the foundation that I've built. So that even when life comes and overwhelms you in the storms of life, yes, you may have doubts. But at least the foundation is built on the person and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as doubts come, lean into him and let him show you even more of who he is. Doubts aren't the opposite of faith. Doubts drive us to search more about who God is. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for doubts. Thank you for faith. Thank you for hope. Father, I pray that this week as we jump off the platform every single day, that we would jump into your arms and say, I don't know what today holds for me. But I know that you're going to catch me and you're going to swing me as high as I need to go. I can do as many twists as possible and know that you're going to catch me every single time because you're my father. And you love me. And you will not let me go. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.